His death shook the nation. George Floyd's death at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer in 2020. The fallout felt right here in Indiana. I admit I can't put myself in a black person's shoes. I can't fully appreciate the everyday indignities and slights our friends and associates have had to deal with, let alone the fear of some things I've never had to think about for a second. And so for my first action, I'm creating a new position Indiana's first ever chief equity, inclusion, and opportunity officer. So Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb turned to a rising young star from South Bend to fill that position, a big step in leveling the playing field for all Hoosiers. I think we're always going to have to check ourselves and make sure that we are having discourse in a civil way that is beneficial to everyone. Kara Herring, a native Hoosier, a preacher's daughter, who leans on faith, family, and fortitude in her role as Indiana's first equity, inclusion, and opportunity officer. She's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. The name Kara Herring may not ring a bell, but once you hear her story, it will probably stick. Kara was born and raised in South Bend, a proud graduate of Clay High School. She kept her brain and talent in Indiana, receiving a bachelor's degree from Purdue University and then a law degree from Valparaiso University. She still has deep ties to South Bend, serving as an associate pastor of her parents' church. Before becoming Indiana's first ever chief equity, inclusion, and opportunity officer, Kara Herring served for nearly a decade in a number of leadership roles at Notre Dame. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Indiana's very first chief equity, inclusion, and opportunity officer, Kara Herring. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mr. Dick. I'm really honored to be here. It's great to, to talk with you today. Yeah. Hey, and congratulations on a number of fronts. Among them, most recently, uh, you were named uh, to the Indiana 250 list, IBJ Media's list, our list of the 250 most influential people in Indiana richly deserved. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was great to see you at the event as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you were on the show. You've been been getting around a lot. I was going to say, I was tempted to say new chief equity, inclusion, and opportunity officer, but it's really not that new anymore. You've been on the job and really running full yeah. steam now for uh, for a number of months, right? That's right. I was appointed almost two years ago and then started in February of 2021. So it's been a little bit of time. Yeah, well, we'll talk about your path uh, to, to that position. But first of all, the position itself. First uh, in the state, I think it was an outgrowth, certainly of the George Floyd situation mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the discussion, the debate, the passion that is existing around the, the, uh, the country uh, around these issues. Talk about the position uh, and your interest in it and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Well, first and foremost, I'm just really grateful for leadership within the state of Indiana that recognize the importance of taking you know, this, this role and putting a laser focus on equity and opportunity. And so when I was contacted about the position at first, I kind of shied away from it because you know, right now people are so 
polarized. No one really wants to come across lines of difference to have really meaningful conversations to get to solutions. So I was really nervous. But when I had the opportunity to sit down with the administration and get a feel for what they were hoping to accomplish, it lined up perfectly with the work that yeah. I've been doing in the, the past decade with the University of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. Talk about it first, because I, I think what you just said is so true. Uh, and talk about the polarization that exists in politics and so many areas of our lives these days. Does that make your job more challenging, more difficult? It does. It does make it challenging. I've never been one to shy away from a challenge, though. And so, you know, walking into this type of work, I was nervous about that, but I've seen it as such a great opportunity to bring people with diverse perspectives together to look at the health of our state and how Hoosiers experience quality of life. So it's been really positive, but I've had to have my my armor on some days and take a couple of hits. It's all right. Your efforts are, are outward facing, but 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 also inward, right? So as right. you look at state government, state agencies, talk about your work in those areas and how important that is. Well, we have 30,000 plus employees within Indiana State Government's executive branch, and they live across the state. And a lot of them come here to the state house to work. But it's just as important to us as we're thinking about quality of life for all Hoosiers that we're also considering how our, our workforce is experiencing state government. So we're looking at how we are recruiting talent and hiring talent, retaining talent, how we develop that talent once they get here, and also making sure that our diverse populations within state government, our individuals with disabilities, our in, you know, employees of color, how they feel included in the environment, how they feel like they belong and the, the, the types of experiences that they're having. So our team is also working with state personnel department on that aspect of equity and opportunity and inclusion. Well, you talk about uh, talent attraction and retention, whether it's in state government or certainly the private sector, uh, Indiana right. battling for jobs and investment uh, with uh, states, uh, really with countries around the globe, uh, to be right. sure. How important, because you, you know, to me, your role, what you do plays a role in that and in, in, in the perception of Indiana, Indiana's reputation when it comes to these, these issues and as companies, whether they're in Peru, Indiana, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at these kinds of things. How does that, how, how does that play, play a role? Yeah, it's critical. And, and I don't want to sugarcoat and make it seem like we've solved all the world's problems. We know that we have some challenges when you look at America's health rankings report and how we kind of rank pretty low in some different categories around air pollution and obesity and infant mortality. But the positive news around that is that we have organizations like the University of Notre Dame, Purdue, IU, that are working with our private corporations, private sector to really look at how we improve those outcomes in the state. And it's critical because I was talking with Elaine Beadle about this from the Indiana Destination Development Corporation. If we want to attract the top talent, if we want to attract the top corporations to come here, if we really want to continue to wrap up that foreign direct investment that the Holcomb administration has been a leader in, uh, we have to make sure that we're addressing those concerns and making Indiana an attractive place for everyone, not just a select few. So it's a big piece of our job. Yeah, as you look at Indiana as a whole, uh, certainly these uh, you know equity and, and inclusion uh, issues are, are top of mind in more urban areas like Indianapolis or Fort Wayne yeah. or South Bend. But but what about the rest of the state in rural Indiana? How, how does yeah. that play into in, into your role? 
Yeah, it's been challenging. Listen, I was sitting down with Mayor Long from Wabash uh, not too long ago, and we were talking about Wabash County and the population decline that they've been experiencing over the last 30 years. And so sitting down with some of their leaders to think about, you know, how are we creating opportunities to think differently about our workforce? Maybe we need to start thinking about the flexible work schedule and remote work and utilizing technology in a different way so that we can get more diverse applicants and younger applicants into our pools. And so a lot of those conversations conversations are happening and then connecting, you know, Mayor Long and others within that that area, Wabash County, to some of the other counties that have experienced similar things, like up in Elkhart County, or, you know, you think about the, the folks in Warsaw that I've worked with, what are they doing to really tackle these challenges? And there's a there's a point where state government can play in that and kind of help think about that. And then some of the private sector can play in that. And then the philanthropic sector can play mm-hmm. in that space too. So those conversations are happening. It's a challenge. We don't want to start losing population. We want our population to grow. Our companies yeah. need workers, you know? Yeah, what, what are you seeing in terms of that, that private sector participation? You certainly see, you know, big companies like Lilly and Cummins uh, you right. know, stepping to the forefront and, and doing things. How overall, in yeah. terms of the corporate community, what are you seeing? I was just with David uh, Johnson from CICP yesterday, and we were talking about the Business Equity for India initiative. Mm-hmm. And they've got 65 corporations from across the state. I think all 92 counties are represented where CEOs and college and university presidents are sitting down. They're thinking about people, they're thinking about procurement, and they're thinking about policy. And these are some of the power players that we need at the table to figure out how are we treating our employees internally? How are we creating opportunities for promotion? But then also, how are we spending our money as a corporate? right? Who are we contracting with? Are we getting those diverse businesses like the ones I featured in the Hoosier Business in Action Initiative opportunities to compete for contracts? And then what policy do we need to be thinking about at the state level with our legislators to really impact change for the quality of life within our communities? I think CICP and the Indy Chamber and the Urban League and others are doing a fantastic job working with these corporations. And my team's hoping to tap into that soon. How does Indiana stack up? I, I, I know other states have, have added uh, positions like yours. Is Indiana kind of taking a leadership role in there or is everyone in this game now? You know, not to toot Governor Holcomb's horn or, you know, put our state, you know, at a place of bragging. But as I've talked to folks across the country and I serve on some national committees, we are a leader in this. And Virginia, I think, was the very first state to create a position like this that reported directly to the governor and was cabinet level. And Utah, they, believe it or not, have an amazing office around equity, inclusion, and opportunity. But I'd say we're in that top three to five states that are really making this a priority for our citizens. And it's it's wonderful. I'm very happy you know, to be part of it. Yeah, it was great to have you on the show uh, a few weeks ago talking about an initiative that I think is probably reflective of, of the efforts that you're doing. And now the name of the initiative is escaping me, but it's a several dozen companies that yeah. you're really going to be showcasing around the state of Indiana. That's a right. lot of them smaller uh, entrepreneurial companies. Uh, talk about that initiative because I think it's important on a number of fronts, uh, among them the types of companies, the fact that it's statewide. Talk, yeah. talk about that effort and what you hope to accomplish. It's called Hoosier Business in Action, and it's yeah. really uh, an initiative to highlight our small businesses across the state that have these stories of inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. And the impetus for this really came from the fact of us looking at quality of life across the state and understanding that there is a nexus between economic empowerment, economic well-being, and 
our social determinants of health and how people are experiencing quality of life. And so I said, why don't we find the businesses that are really helping their communities thrive, but also businesses that are a beacon of hope for others that maybe don't always see themselves in that free enterprise space, right? And so we're highlighting veteran-owned businesses, uh, disability-owned businesses, Black-owned businesses, women-owned businesses. And a couple of the ones that you know we, we highlighted, Mark Hubler from New Albany, Indiana, just an amazing story of resilience and empowerment. Young young man who, um, you know, with a disability, who's been able to be a spokesperson and really lift up the needs for us to invest in our disability community in different ways. You got after school HQ creating using technology to really make sure parents are connected to the resources that they need for their students to be successful, right? And that ties into what we're looking at around literacy and achievement gaps within the state and closing those gaps. And so there's a number of amazing companies that we're going to do these profiles on that they'll be able to use on the social media channels. But again, back to what we're saying, it lifts up Indiana and it shows people who we are and what we have Mm -hmm. to offer the world. And so it's just, it's beautiful that we were able to honor those businesses. And I'm looking forward to all the profiles. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get any any takeaways from that in terms of the reaction you got maybe from from businesses around the state and the fact that there is a thirst for this and interest in connecting uh, with businesses around the state? Definitely the probably the most prominent um, and like memorable reaction. The businesses just said, we feel seen. We feel heard. We feel like we are being acknowledged for our hard work. And that that meant the world to them. But also uh, my inbox is full of people on LinkedIn. Like, how do I get my business recognized next year? How do we throw our name in the hat? And so people are hungry for this type of recognition of the folks who drive Indiana's economy every day. And I think, you know, we've been recognizing these businesses in many ways over the course of the past, you know, decade or so. There's many other initiatives. This is just one of many, but it was really beautiful to get that feedback from the business themselves. Yeah. How do you feel? You feel like you're moving the needle and, and, and how do you, how do you know if you are? I mean, you know, what, what's your, yeah. your, your gut feel right now? It's tough, right? So this position's brand new. We have what's called the Indiana Equity Data Portal that's on our website, in.gov forward slash equity. And you can go to the data portal and look at some of the top uh, statistics, the data that we are looking at to see how we're doing as a state in healthcare and workforce, social services, public safety. And those numbers, some of them are challenging. And there's no way we're going to be able to change that in 18 months. But I do feel like we are on track and we're gaining great momentum, especially with our partnerships with the Department of Education, the Indiana Indiana Economic Development Corporation and others. I believe if we stay on track where we are now, those numbers that we see on the equity data portal, they'll look very different in five years. They'll look mm-hmm. very, very differently in 10 years. But it's going to take some time to move the needle on the, the, the challenges that we see with inequities. So in sure. a way, you're, you're kind of setting the stage as, as, as you mentioned. I mean, you're on a time clock in a sense, yeah. right? We can do an appointment. So That's right. Governor Holcomb will, will be leaving office. So you're kind of, you know, putting things in motion for, for hopefully what will be down right. the road, some, 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 some real progress. I, I really hope so. And it's really, if there's anything that keeps me up at night about this work, a lot of it keeps me up, especially when I look at the data and, and what some of our populations are experiencing. But in, in the short term, um, this office is operating under executive order. And so our, our team is working on some legislation right now to make sure that this, this work continues, even once the administration changes. I, I hope that we will always have a governor who thinks that equity, opportunity, and inclusion should be top of mind for our agencies and our state. And so we're hoping 
going to present some legislation here soon to, to build this into the infrastructure of state government permanently. Yeah, you mentioned the legislature, and obviously that's a very important piece of this as well. Do you sense that the General Assembly is, you know, kind of gets it, if you will, when it comes to, to, to this issue, these issues uh, in terms of support, financial and otherwise going forward? I'm hopeful. I really believe, especially as we start to talk about, you know, economic empowerment and looking not just at our urban communities, but our rural communities and our suburban communities around access and opportunity. I mean, this touches all of their constituents in some way or another. And so I think, you know, the more we can make this relatable to their voter base and the people that, you know, bring them into office, I think the more they'll start to understand that this isn't just about race, ethnicity. That's a big piece of it when you look at the data. But it's really about quality of life for all of our Hoosiers. And I think we have a huge opportunity to keep this at the forefront of our focus with our initiatives within state government. Much more with uh, Kara Herring uh, coming up on the Business and Beyond podcast. We'll talk about the fact she's a Hoosier, educated at multiple uh, Indiana institutions, the church, very important part of her life uh, as well. Much more when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Kara Herring, is uh, Indiana's first Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Opportunity Officer. And uh, Kara, as I mentioned before the break, you're a Hoosier, right? Uh, That's right. Through, through, uh, through. all the way through your, <laughs> your education. Talk about uh, the early years. You grew up in South Bend, right? Yes, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, proud, proud product of the South Bend Community School Corporation up there. Went to Clay High School and graduated from Clay High School. My parents are very active in the community up there. And so I'm very proud of South Bend. The governor jokes sometimes when he introduces me, if you know, if you didn't know it before, she's from South Bend and she's going to make <laughs> sure she highlights that every, every chance she gets. But then I went on to, to Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana for my undergraduate degree. I started off as a pre-med student student, but quickly realized I wasn't as quite interested in that as I thought I was and went on to get a degree in public relations and communications from Purdue. And then I took a few years off and went to Valparaiso University School of Law for my JD. So I, I'm an Indiana girl connected to multiple higher education institutions in Indiana, spent 10 years at Notre Dame working within their executive team in HR and in the Office of Public Affairs and Communications. So higher education yeah. is just, it's been in yeah. my wheelhouse for a while. Yeah, and, and so is uh, the church, right? That's right. Uh, very, very important part of your upbringing. Talk about that. And I think right. you're, uh, today, you're you're an associate pastor, I think, right? I am, I am. So I'm the daughter of pastors. I grew up as a PK. I know we get a bad name <laughs> in a popular culture. The PKs are the wild ones. This is what I tell people, though, Mr. Dan. You would never expect the child of a dentist to not get a cavity. So why do you expect the child of a pastor to not commit a few sins here and there? I mean, come on, we're human. So, you know, um, but I grew up in the church. Uh, my parents, Bishop Eddie and Diana Miller, started a ministry in South Bend, Faith Alive Ministries, many years ago. They've been married for 48, 49 years and started the ministry about 45 years ago. Um, my brother is our senior pastor now. And so I assist him with the ministry. Uh -huh. So do my other siblings. We're all very involved with the ministry in South Bend. Yeah, talk about growing up in the church, literally, yeah. and, and, and what that was like and why that was so special to you. 
You know, I, for me, it was, it's a huge part of who I am. I mean, our parents really raised us with the belief that our lives are bigger than our own selfish wants and desires. Obviously you have goals, personal goals and accomplishments that you want to, to get to, but there's a bigger purpose on your life. And that's what they taught us. And I've watched them serve the community in South Bend, Indiana and in St. Joseph County, my entire life. And so that service that servant focused leadership was a part of our home. And I think it rubbed off on my siblings and, and me in multiple ways. My, my oldest brother, he works full-time for the ministry, but he opened up a state-of-the-art fitness facility to help with health outcomes in the community up there. My second oldest brother is our senior pastor. He travels all over the, the country speaking, Pastor YPJ, to, to universities, colleges, churches, all types of organizations. The Even NFL teams bring him in to speak to the teams. And then our, our baby sister, she works full-time with the ministry too, and she's working in the music space. She's with a number of celebrities all of the time working in the music space but also working from a standpoint of mental health and how we can use music and the arts to really help people in the mental health space um, with their emotional and spiritual well-being. So we all have our own unique aspects of, as to how we approach service, but it was just ingrained in us from a young age. And that was because of the ministry. Yeah, for sure. You talk about servant leadership, which is so important, obviously. Do you think that that whole idea uh, of servant leadership, of service to others, service to community, do you think that's, I don't say being lost today, but but is is not, there's not as much importance or focus placed on that? I, I do think that um, it's a challenge right now where we are, especially when you think about uh, the political space or you think about social media and the way that it's kind of turned into the me, 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 like you got selfies and people just kind of posting these superficial things. And, you know, at the end of the day, we really should be concerned about our neighbors. We really should be concerned about the people on the other side of us, because when we're stronger as a community, it makes stronger cities, it makes stronger counties, it makes stronger states. And I, I really am hopeful that the younger generation is paying attention and starting to see like there is a direction that we could go in. We don't really want to go that way. We want to get back to some of those foundational principles of servant leadership. And no one's perfect. It's a journey for all of us. No one is perfect. I've had my own missteps in the past around how we, I approach some of this work. But I think we have to be open to having a growth mindset and partnering with others, even when we don't always agree with them, even mm -hmm. when, when our views don't always align. It's about civility and coming across lines of difference to work on solutions that will positively mm -hmm. impact all of us. You mentioned uh, Notre Dame, and as we're doing this podcast, I see over your right shoulder there a little Notre Dame <laughs> a coffee mug, a strategically placed. Right oh there. gosh, I have a lot of Notre Dame stuff. Yeah, what um, talk about your time there and uh, the importance of Notre Dame? I think you know a lot of people outside of Indiana don't even know Notre Dame is part of Indiana uh, right. in, some, in some ways. And right. what I think has been really my observation, and this is more from an economic development and otherwise standpoint, I think there was a time for many years when Notre Dame was not engaged at all in that. Yeah. But that has changed, I think, in a big way. And I think it's to the, the, to the positive, to the betterment of, of Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Yeah, I was there for 10 years. When I first started at Notre Dame, I was in the Office of Human Resources and I worked for the Office of Institutional Equity. Our team oversaw, you know, compliance issues around Title IX, Title VII. And then I ended up getting promoted and overseeing that office and overseeing workplace compliance within the university. But my last three years, I was the Director of Public Affairs. And so exactly what you're talking about, we were incredibly focused on looking at our economic impact to the region, right? I got to oversee the university's quarter of a million dollar United Way campaign and how our employees were contributing to the nonprofits in the area focused on social determinants of health. And then I got to be a part of the team that wrote the economic impact statement, our big country, you know, economic impact statement report to look at that $2.4 billion impact to the region and how we were really trying to help um, St. Joseph County, but also Elkhart County and all the surrounding areas. And I will tell you, you know, for some years, there was this perception that it was Notre Dame and then the townies around Notre Dame. Right. They've done a fantastic job of really creating mutually beneficial relationships to look at how not only the community can benefit from Notre Dame, but how Notre Dame can benefit from the community. South Bend is a great, great place. And so taking on that mindset that there's mutually beneficial relationships that can exist, our faculty, staff, and students, and Father John and his administration have done a fantastic job. And that Catholic mission, it permeates throughout everything that they do, really wanting to be a force for good in the world. It's great. It's fantastic. As you think back growing up and into your early professional life, Sounds like no doubt your your parents were certainly mentors and, and family mentors. Were there others that you can point to mentors uh, or folks who are very important or are very important to you and your yeah. uh, professional and personal development? Yeah, so no doubt. You're absolutely right. I had two of the best mentors ever right inside of my house, right? I They were like superheroes to me. Not perfect, but they, they really pressed us to do the best that we could. Um, I always looked up to my brothers. They're older. I'm the third child. I always watched them and, and really paid attention to them. But then there were those in, in my community um, back at home. Lynn Coleman is a gentleman who's a servant leader up there. Just a fantastic gentleman. Gladys Muhammad up there. She was amazing. I had a teacher by the name of Evelyn Robinson, who's since passed on. Um, first time I had a, an African-American female teacher in elementary school, and she just left such an impression on me. And of course, there are a number of other community leaders who just surrounded me to make sure that I was successful in college and in high school and so on and so forth. But watching people who sometimes don't even realize that they didn't know I was watching them, but I was watching them and I was watching the way they interacted with our city administration and how they interacted with the community. That was huge for me. Um, But I was just so blessed to have two parents who, you know, my mom was reading to us before we could even talk and really encouraging us about education. My dad was engaged in civics in, in the South Bend community and watching his leadership, it definitely rubbed off on me. And so I was, I don't take that for granted ever. It's a great privilege to have parents like that. You, you mentioned something, um, African-American teacher you had that, that made yeah. an impression. And, you know, we do stories of, of um, efforts across many areas, including science, technology, engineering, and math to get more, not only more women engaged, but more teachers and more persons of color in the teaching profession. Talk about the importance of that visible uh, presence, if you will, in the classroom and and how that can have an impact uh, that lasts a lifetime. It's critical. And I was talking to Amar Patel from uh, Teach for America, I believe is the organization he was with. And we were talking about 
the importance of representation for students of color at an early age. There's some numbers out there. I don't want to start naming off statistics because I see so many numbers in a day, I'll get it wrong. But the likelihood of those students who have a teacher that looks like them um, early in their, their childhood, the likelihood of those students graduating from high school and then graduating from college, it increases dramatically when they can find an educator that they see connectivity with. And so uh, we, we talked about this. And if you look at the, the most recent college readiness report that just came out from the Commission for Higher Education, I am concerned about our students and their ability to graduate high school and go off into higher education and thus have a better life for their, themselves and their families. So Dr. Jenner and I, the Secretary of Education and our teams are working together to look at the diversification of our teacher population, to look at how we are really supporting our students of color and students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds uh, because it's critical. And I will tell you, we can't start thinking about it when they're 14. We really have to be thinking about it when they are six, seven, <laughs> even before that, because that's when they, we, they really start to make their, their impressions on what education means to them mm -hmm. at a young age. So yeah. as you maybe reflect on things, is there, is there anything advice uh, that you would uh, today give a, a 14 or 15 year old Kara, I mean, a, a young Kara, <laughs> what, what would you, what would you say? Yeah, well, it was Kara Miller back then. Um, <laughs> I would tell that young lady, number one, stay away from the boys. They're bad. They're bad business. <laughs> That'd be the first one. <laughs> no, I, I think honestly, um, it's okay to make mistakes. And I was one when I was in high school, because I was like president of my senior class and president of the student government. And I was very involved. I was always so nervous to mess up and make a mistake. And part of that probably was being raised as a PK. You just want, mm -hmm. you know, people to know that you're trying your best, but that, that type of like need for perfection followed me into my career. And I think early on in my career as a, a young leader, being so afraid that you're going to mess up can paralyze your efforts. And it can also kind of make you, um, I would say a little nervous to speak up and use your voice. And so I would tell my younger self, just lean into the mistakes. Every mistake is going to prepare you and create a resilience in you that you can use with the next opportunity. You don't know it all. You never will. It's a growth journey your entire yeah. life. It's okay. Just lean yeah. into it, young lady. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Good advice. Hey, yeah. thinking ahead, I know you're very engaged and totally immersed in what you're doing now, but yeah. any thoughts on, on what's next for Kara Herring? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I better start thinking about that here soon, huh, Mr. Dick? I mean, <laughs> governor's term is, is coming up here soon. I, you know, I would love, love to stay in a role where I'm having an impact um, with the state of Indiana. Whatever that work looks like, whether it's going back into public affairs and government relations, whether it's something still within state government, I don't know. But my heart is really for Hoosiers. And I just want to have an impact for people that look like me who haven't had the same opportunities to figure out how we can help them with quality of life, but also for people who don't look like me, who have nothing in common with me, but they love this state just as much as I do. I want to be in an impact role. That's important mm -hmm. to me. Okay. Now, as I listen to you talk, would you ever consider running for office? Public oh office? my gosh. <laughs> I, I'm considering running from office. I don't know about <laughs> running for office. It would take a lot of convincing that, to get me on that track, but you know what I am a firm believer in? I'm a firm believer um, that my prayer life has always guided me in the right direction. And so if anyone were to approach me about that, I would just pray about it and see what the big man upstairs says. So. Uh, that's great. Well, Kara, <laughs> it's been a real treat to catch up with you. Thank you for the great things you're doing for Indiana uh, as a state uh, and a native Hoosier at that. You're doing uh, 
you're doing really, really some important things. So appreciate the effort and appreciate you taking the time to join me on the podcast. Thank you for allowing me to share. It means a lot. Thank you. All right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC, Indiana's first chief equity, inclusion, and opportunity officer, Kara Herring, my guest this week. You can catch this podcast and all 70 plus episodes of the Business and Beyond podcast. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gary Dick. We'll see you next time.